Well, how can you be a good citizen of heaven and a citizen of the country in which you live? For us, the United States of America. Last week, we looked together at the fact that you actually can, and not only can you be, but God expects you to be a citizen of two countries. He expects you to never, never compromise on the fact that you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. But he also intends for us to be good citizens in the country in which we live. That's certainly true for you and I in the United States of America, but it was true in the first century of those who were under the cruel and evil and wicked uh, country of Rome, the empire of Rome. They lived in a horrible, horrible situation, but God intended and expected them to be good citizens of Rome. And we learned that last time. But now the question is, how do we actually do that? How can you be a good citizen of heaven and a good citizen of the country in which you reside? How can you actually do that practically in living out your life? Well, over this semester, we're going to be talking about that, as I mentioned last week. And we're going to be looking at different biblical principles. But at the start today, I want you to know that if you are going to be a good citizen Christian, if you are going to be a, a true Christian citizen, someone who has your, your ultimate allegiance as a citizen of heaven, but then a secondary allegiance to a, the, as a citizen of the country in which you live, then there are some things that you must understand. The first thing that you must understand that we're going to be looking at this semester is this. You, if you're going to be a good Christian citizen, you must understand the three institutions that God has ordained. You must understand that God has actually ordained three institutions. Now, there's tons of institutions in our world. There are tons of institutions in our nation, and there are tons of institutions in this very city in which we live. But God has ordained three institutions, and you must understand them. The second thing that you must understand, if you're going to be a good Christian citizen, is you need to understand God's expectations of submission in each of those institutions. You must understand that God who designed those institutions also set expectations for each of us as individuals in regards to submitting in those institutions. And it is crucial for us to understand what that is, what that looks like, and how we actually do it. If we don't understand God's expectations of submission, then we will not be good citizens of heaven nor of this, the country in which we reside. But then there is a third thing we must understand. And we must understand what we are to do when there is conflict between those institutions. That is what we must understand to be good citizens. Now, we cannot understand the issues of conflict until we understand the issues of submission. And we can't understand the issues of submission until we understand the institutions themselves. So the next three messages beginning today that I will share with you in chapel, the Lord willing, 
is, are this. We're going to begin looking at those three institutions. I want you to open your Bible with me or take your phone out and open your app and turn to Genesis chapter 1. When we begin to talk about the institutions that God has ordained, the institutions that God has set up, we understand that God has set up these three institutions and we see them happening right from the very beginning. The first institution that God establishes is the home or the family. That is the first institution that God establishes. It is first in time. And by the way, on this earth, it is first in priority. It is first in time. And on this earth, the institution of the home is first in priority. In fact, without the institution of the home, the other two institutions that we will learn about are hindered deeply and greatly. In fact, the fact of the matter is even secular scholars who don't necessarily believe in the Bible will acknowledge that when you study history, any nation, any city, any time in our world's history that the institution of the family, of the home, has been devalued. It has been the beginning of the end of that civilization or of that nation. The fact of the matter is, is from the very beginning, God said there are going to be institutions on the earth, and the first one, the first one in time, and also the first one in priority is the institution of the home. So this morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, maybe a little bit of 3, and a li very little bit of 4. And you say, man, we know how long you preach with one verse. We're in trouble. Don't worry, you will have lunch because we're not going to look at every detail. But rather, what I want you to do is to grapple with the concept of what is God's plan and what is His intention for that first institution. And, and in doing that, there are three primary things that we're going to see today. And the first one comes in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. So look there with me. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We need to understand today that the first institution finds its origin in the Creator Himself. The first institution finds its origin in the Creator Himself. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1... God has been working through His creation. We are on day six when we come to verse 26. And as you know, He created the animals first. And then, in a very specific way, He separates His creation from the animal 
to talk about the creation of humankind. And here he uses language. He actually comes back in chapter 2 and gives us additional detail about this creative process. Uh, Whereas as to this point, we have seen God speak and it happened. When it comes to mankind, there is a difference. As you are reading through Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be uh, uh, land, and there was land. God said, let there be birds of the air, and there were birds of the air. But when we come to man, he stops, and there is a council that takes place among the divine council, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God says, the Father says, to the Son and the Spirit, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. We are not progressed animals. I heard yesterday on the early morning news, on Fox News, a discussion briefly, and they didn't go too much into it, about the fact that many scientists today are now turning on Darwin. They're turning on Darwinism and evolution as we know it because they realize after all of these years, they have not yet been able to find a missing link from one species to another. But not only that, they're actually turning on him as a person today. But folks, I want you to understand the end of evolution, Darwinism, is this, that we are nothing more than animals. And yes, guess what? It is very racist in its orientation that there are more advanced human beings, animals, than others. It is absolutely consistent with the idea of the more advanced person or the more advanced, quote, race, enslaving the less advantaged institutions. And people are recognizing that, though many Christians have been saying that since the 1800s. This is a problem. Darwinianism is wrong on many fronts. People are now starting to say that. Now, they're not ready to run to the Creator, but they're beginning to reject what they have followed for so long and actually taught as a scientific fact when in reality it is barely a hypothesis according to scientific rules. Here's the issue. God intentionally and directly discussed, designed, and then created with his own hands mankind. In fact, when we come to chapter 2, when he is now giving us deep explanation of the creation of human beings, he says in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Rather than saying, let there be light and there was light, God actually came down and took the dust that he had previously created and from that formed a man and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. When God completes the creation that we see here in verse 26, by bringing Eve into existence, he actually performs the first surgery. I bet you didn't know God was the first doctor. He was a surgeon. He was an internal surgeon. 
And he uh, was also an anesthesiologist. He put him to sleep. And then he cut him open and he took a rib out. And uh, then he closed him back up and he took that rib and used that uh, to make Eve, his uh, Adam's helper, and then to bring Eve to him. He also performed the first wedding. We'll see here in a little bit when we get to chapter 2. But here in chapter 1, he just describes what is happening. Now, he already in the creation gives a hint that this is going to be the first institution of all of human history. Now, notice what he says about it in the verse. He says, God created in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, he makes the distinction here, though we don't learn the process until chapter 2. He says, listen, God is creating us, humankind, in his image. He's creating us male and female. And God intentionally, despite the fact that people want to say there's no difference between male and female, the fact of the matter is, is God made men one way, He made women another way, and together, when we are together, it actually is a picture of who God is. But the fact of the matter is, is that is why we stand for pro-life all of life. But understand that in this description here, what God is doing for us is He's laying the groundwork for the first institution. It's not an individual. Some people think that cities and countries and the world and society is built on individuals. That is not the intent of God. We are individuals, and He cares for us each individually. And sometimes in our world... We emphasize collectivism so much that we forget the individual. Jesus didn't just die for the world, though he did. He died for you personally. The individual's important. That's not what I'm saying. But his first institution was not an individual. His first institution in his plan from the beginning was male and female. The beginnings of a formation of a home. Not only that, but he lays out that they are going to be the head of creation. Uh, in our Principles of Leadership class uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the idea of the biblical basis for leadership. And the first place we went was to this text. Because the fact of the matter is, is God establishes leadership right here in these verses. And he says, mankind is to be the leader. And mankind includes male and female. So we need to understand that the first institution has its origin in the Creator Himself. Now, let's be honest. We live in a society that wants to completely redefine the institution of the home. In fact, we are bombarded with it on television. We are bombarded with it in, in shows. I mean, even Hallmark Channel has gotten into it recently. We are bombarded with it in commercials. We have commercials that directly say that, that family is, and they describe different things that they say is the family. Our nation has been in the process over the last 20 years of moving to redefine the family. What is the family? And we have been redefining that in and of ourselves. 
But folks, I want you to understand that a society does not create the family. The government does not define the family. According to the Word of God, God is the one who defined the first institution. God is the one who said this is what family is supposed to be. Now, not everybody has experienced what God says should be family. And that is difficult. And today in the society in which we live, there are probably more people today who have not experienced the biblical family than that have. And that is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons that our nation is in the mess that it's in. But it does not change the fact that God himself is the origin of the first institution. The first institution finds its origin from the creator himself. But there's a second principle we need to understand about the first institution. The first institution finds its action from the creator himself. Now, we see it primarily in chapter 2, but here in the text we've already read in chapter 1, there are hints at it. Notice again the verse. Look in verse, uh, verse 26 again. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the creeping things. Now, look down uh, to verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, that's to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, listen, here is the first institution. It is the home. And that home begins with a man and a woman committed to one another in a monogamous relationship. But I'm not just defining that. I am also defining what your action should be. Your action should be really twofold. Number one, to expand your family. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, we don't get that until we get to chapter 4, which we will briefly look at towards the end of this message, that it actually begins to happen. But the command was from the day that Adam and Eve were created. The command was... One of the things you do as an institution of husband and wife is you be fruitful and multiply. I'm really glad that Ofer James and Velma Ballard believed that. Because they believed it so much, they almost had two quivers. Uh, a quiver uh, was five arrows, and they had nine kids. And people say to me, do you really think your parents should have had nine kids? And I says, yes, because I'm the ninth. <laughs> There's no question. I am all for it uh, in their case. <laughs> I, I never really aspired to have nine kids myself, but I'm glad my parents did. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. I have one sister that went beyond a quiver by one. She had 11. Uh, but uh, anyway, the point is not the number of children, but the point is that you have children. By the way, this does not negate adoption because the fact of the matter is throughout God's word, God teaches the importance of adoption and that also teaches us something about who our God is 
And so in my family, the Lord allowed us to have one child that was not born alive that we will never meet until we get to heaven, but then to have one son by adoption. What a blessing. What a blessing adoption is. But the point here is to mom and dad and children. That is the institution that God gave. And one of the jobs that God gave to mom and dad is to have children, to be fruitful and multiply. But there's a second job that we see in, the, in these texts. He says, have dominion. He says, to rule over. Come to chapter 2 where we get more specific. In verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, God says, listen, I didn't just create you just for fun. I created you, and I created this institution for a purpose, and the purpose of the institution is to take care of God's creation. If you will remember last Thursday, one of the things that I talked about is that God has stewardship over his own creation. He has ownership over his own creation, but that God delegates those responsibilities to human beings. And he delegates those responsibilities to three distinct institutions. And he gives each of them certain responsibilities. But the primary command of taking care of creation is not given to the Environmental Protection Agency of the United States or any other country. The primary command of taking care of God's creation is given to mom and dad and children. It is our job to take care of this creation. And quite frankly, I believe that if mom and dads took that seriously, that we would have no need for any other outside environmental agency. Now, my parents took it very seriously. I want to illustrate that for you. I, uh, I love to hunt, and I am so looking forward uh, to next month, to October. Uh, it has, I have not hunted since I left New Hampshire um, to come here and uh, start this, this school. I really have just not had time to go hunting, but I love to hunt. And the Lord willing, uh, next month, if, if uh, everything continues as planned, uh, I put in for a license in Colorado for antelope, and I'm going to go try to shoot me an antelope with uh, my brother and a couple of my nephews, uh, maybe three or four of my nephews. I'm not sure who all is going to make it, and we're going to go try to hunt antelope together, and I love to hunt. And I remember when I first moved to Virginia, I started a kind of hunting I had never done. I had heard about it, but I had never done it, and that is squirrel hunting. And Olive says, oh, no, you didn't really go kill those cute little things, did you? Yes, I, I did. Um, I had never, never heard of squirrel. I mean, I had never gone squirrel hunting. I'd heard of it, but I never had done it. And I got to Virginia, and all the men in my church said, man, you got to go squirrel hunting. I said, why would I go squirrel hunting? Well, they're good eating. And I said, really? There can't be much meat on there. They said, well, you got to get a mess of them for it to do you good and give you a meal, but they're good. 
But that's not the main reason we go. And I said, what's the main reason you go? They said, so it's in October, and we can, we can spend the entire month of October figuring out where the deer patterns are for this year for November. And I said, that sounds like a plan. I'm going to uh, go squirrel hunting. So I told Cindy, I said, Cindy, I'm going to go squirrel hunting. She said, Mark, you remember our rule? And I said, what rule's that? And she said that I'll cook anything you bring as long as I don't have to see it in its fur. You bring it in looking like meat, and I'll cook it. And I said, you got it, no problem. And so we went out squirrel hunting, and I went with a friend of mine named Junior, and we went out, and we're out there, and uh, we're squirrel hunting, and I got my shotgun. Uh, you know, he decided he was going to show off his, his prowess with the rifle, and he only brought his twenty two, which, you know, that's going to take a good shot. And so we get out there, and I, I wanted to make sure I got what I was after. And so I went out for a squirrel, and so we're there, and I look up, and I see this squirrel in, the, in this, running across this tree limb. And I said, there we go, there's my first squirrel. And I'm, boom, and I shot it. And uh, I, I was so excited when I saw it falling. But I had not looked where the tree limb was. And I looked... And the tree limb was over this big hollow. If you don't know what a hollow is, you need to just go spend a little bit of time in Virginia, North Carolina. They'll teach you. It's this deep area. And I watched it go down this hollow through, through the air. And then I watched it hit the ground finally way down and then continue to roll. Well, it was a long ways down that hollow. And I'm looking all around and I'm seeing trees that are down everywhere. And I'm seeing briars with stickers. And way down there in the bottom of that hollow, I see that little squirrel. And I looked at Junior, and he started laughing. And he says, you got your first squirrel, and it's down in the bottom of the hollow. Come on, let's go. And I said, what? And he said, let's go. And I said, I can't leave that squirrel there. And he said, what do you mean you can't leave that squirrel there? And I said, I can't leave that squirrel there. And he said, Mark, all you get from meat is a little bit of meat from each leg. We'll get more squirrels. I know it's your first one, but you need to leave it alone. I said, no, sir. I cannot do that. I'll be back. You just go on hunting. And so I set my gun down, and I crawled down through that mess. And I got cut up, and I moved branches, and I finally got to my catch. And I got my squirrel, and I come up. And then I said, oh, what an idiot you are. Now you got to walk back up that mess. <laughs> and so I started climbing, climbing, and climbing. Now, I know that you have not known me that long, but I actually weighed more then than I do right now in that moment. And so we're not just talking about climbing up a mountain. We're talking about a man my size. That is work. And, I, and I'm doing it. I'm climbing up out of that thing. And I get to the top, and I've, I've like, shed clothes. I'm, I'm carrying jackets and all this and this stupid squirrel. And I get to the top, and Junior's just shaking his head. He said, Mark, I love to eat squirrel, but it was not worth it for that. And I said, listen, let me tell you why I climbed down there. Because my daddy taught me that I'm responsible to God for his environment. And that I'm never to kill something that I'm not going to eat or use for clothing or something like that. Because my dad taught me that I'll give an account to God 
for how I treat his creation. Well, we walked on a little bit longer and I shot another one. It went down in another hollow. In fact, every squirrel I ever killed while I was in Virginia, except for two, went down a crazy hollow that I had to go down and get. But I did it. Why? Because my parents taught me that God holds me responsible for taking care of my environment. Because it's not mine, it's His. And He has entrusted that responsibility to the first institution, first in time, but also first in priority. I needed no game warden to tell me to not leave that there. Because my family taught me my responsibility. And therefore, I fulfilled it. If we're going to understand the first institution, we must understand that the first institution finds its origin in the Creator. And we must understand that the first institution finds its action in the Creator. And finally, we need to understand that the first institution finds its membership defined by the Creator. We don't get to define it. God does. Now I want you to look with me here in chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. We're going to read verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Don't worry, I'm not going to comment on every word. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And there were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, folks, this paragraph is filled with all kinds of stuff that we could spend a lot of time on. We can't do it. I love to, but we can't do it today. But I want to point out just a few things. Number one, the first time that I really began to study this paragraph, I remember thinking, why in the world does God introduce that Adam needs a helper, and then he has him name all the animals first. Is this kind of like the old the Heinz commercial? Heinz ketchup, you know, you gotta, it's worth the anticipation. You just wait. Is that what the deal is? Or is there something else going on here? And I have become convinced that there is a specific reason that God did it this way, and it was because men, let's admit it, and ladies, you can say amen as loud as you want to, we are hard-headed and stubborn. We really are. Go ahead. I, I see you smiling. You're agreeing. Just say amen. We are. We admit it. We are hard-headed and stubborn. And Adam was hard-headed and stubborn. And so Adam needed to realize his need. Because sometimes men don't think we need anything or anyone. But we do. And Adam had to realize that. So God says, hey, Adam needs a helper comparable to him. He's got to figure that out. So let's have him name the animals. And I love it. There they come. Mr. and Miss Bear. 
Mr. and Miss Giraffe. Sorry, Mr. and Miss Giraffe. <laughs> Mr. and Miss Ant. Mr. and Miss uh, Donkey. Whatever the case, you know, you just say, come by one by one, the lions. And he's sitting there, man, it must have been an exhausting week for Adam, naming all those animals. But something had to dawn on him about halfway through that process. Mr. and Miss, Mr. Mitt. Where's mine? See, he's stubborn. He had to get it. And that's why we read at the end of verse 20, but for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. He needed a companion. He needed someone to complete him. Adam was incomplete without Eve. And he knew he needed to know that. And he came to this moment of realizing that. And so God then performs the first surgery, puts him to sleep, creates Eve. And the next thing that always caught my attention was Adam's response. Doesn't that just sound boring? I mean, ladies, how many of you would like to be out on a date and have, you know, your relationship getting more serious? And so, you know, your, your boyfriend takes you to this really nice restaurant and you're all dressed up and... You know, you, you think this might be the night he's going to, we're going to get engaged. And you eat your meal, and then he looks at you, and he says, Dear, you're a bone of my bone. You're flesh of my flesh. Might even go like Solomon and say, You have a nick that is like a high tower, you know, or something, <laughs> something, something weird. It's like, what? What is wrong with this guy? I don't get this. I mean, that sounds pretty boring response, isn't it? I mean, isn't that bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh? You'll be called woman? I mean, what, what, listen, you miss the force of it. I mean, here Adam's been naming. He, he goes to sleep. He wakes up, and God brings Eve to her, and he goes, Wow! There's mine! There's my helper! There's my companion. There's the one who can, who can help me, who can contribute to my understanding. And together we can be a team. And the first institution is born, is born here in this moment. Listen, I want us to understand, I don't care what the government says, I don't care what any government says, a home and in, the institution of the home is not made up of a man and a man or a, or a woman and a woman. God designed it and he defines it. And God said that a home begins with a man and a woman. That's just the fact. We have several married couples sitting here in the room and others down the hall. Husband and wife, you are a home. You are the institution that God has given you. Then he moves on as we look over to chapter 4 and we find Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and, he, and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again and, and his name, name of his brother was Abel. So now they begin to have children. Now I want you to notice something. People often say, well, that happened after the fall and, and children being born are a result of the fall. That is not true. Don't ever get think that. Just like work didn't start after the fall. Remember what we've already read foundationally. God told them on the day that Adam was made that he has to be fruitful and multiply. God tells them right here when Eve is brought to him for this cause from now on, forever, 
In all of human history, a man will grow up, he will leave his father and mother, he will be joined to his wife, he will start an institution that is ordained by God. It will be man and woman, and they are to have children. The result of the fall was pain in childbirth. The result of the fall was hard work that had thorns and thistles. But work and children were a part of God's plan prior to the fall. It is his intention. And the home is defined by God. The members are defined by the creator himself. And he says it's, it's a man and a woman joined together in covenant. And then as God blesses, whether it's through birth or through adoption, they have children. And that is the first institution. It is not the second. It is not less in priority than the church. It is not less in priority than the government. It is the primary institution that God has entrusted his creation to. It is the home. Several years ago, Hillary Rodham Clinton wrote a book. It takes a village to raise a child. There are some things in the book that have some good insight into times when families need help. There's no question about that. And there are times when, when families do need help from many sources. And sin comes in. We do live in a fallen world, and sometimes families are broken. Sometimes husbands or wives abandon their responsibility in the home, and the home is destroyed because of it. And by the way, Listen to me close, men and women. You will be held accountable to God when you are the cause of that. The children suffer in those moments. And they miss out on what God's institution is. But here, listen to me closely. Whether you had a mom and dad actively involved in your life or you did not, you can start where you are. And say, I am going to be different. Maybe even in the past, there's been failures in your family. But you can say from this moment on, I am going to be the husband and dad God wants me to be. And I am going to be the wife and the mother that God wants me to be. And I am going to understand that my home, is the first institution and without it the church and the government just simply do not work the home is primary hillary clinton was wrong it is not the government's job to raise children it is not the un's job to raise children it's not even the city's job to raise children. Now, sometimes, because of failures, others have to be involved. It's not the church's job to raise children. It's not the school's job to raise children. It's mom and dad's job. And we may use the schools, we may use the church, we certainly should. 
We may even be involved in government programs, and sometimes government does have to step in. But that is not primary. Primary is the home. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you're listening today and you know Jesus is your Savior, then I want you in these moments right now to turn your heart toward home. I want you to think about your home. If you're married, you have the privilege of being involved in the primary responsibility that God has given. The number one institution. If you have children, you even have a greater joy and responsibility of that primary institution. And God intends for you to enjoy it And he intends for you to use it for his glory, to train your children in the Lord. And yes, as a family, to take the responsibility for his creation, which means getting the gospel to other people, which means serving God together as a family. And it means, yes, even taking care of our environment. That is your responsibility first and foremost if you're here and you, you're not married then I would encourage you to take this time to say Lord help me to commit to follow you and Father if you choose to bless me with a spouse help me to take the institution of the home primary when that day comes Father, I'll leave it in your hands because I know you choose to have some people not be married. And that's fine. I'll do whatever you want. But God, if you give me a spouse, then I'll make it primary. And I'll realize that my responsibilities and my joys are not in government first or not even in church first, but they're in my home that you have instituted. And if you're here listening and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, whether you have a family right now of your own or whether you don't, I want you to know that the most important thing that you can be doing right now is making sure that you have a real relationship with Jesus. As we mentioned when we first began today, He loves you. And though you've sinned, though I've sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God, Jesus loves you so much that he died in your place, taking the penalty for your sin. He was buried, and he rose again, defeating sin and death in the grave. And right now, he offers you forgiveness of sins. He offers you assurance of a home in heaven. And he offers you his presence throughout this life so it can be well with your soul and so if you've never trusted him do it right now don't wait just turn to him right now it only takes a moment the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ you will be saved yesterday afternoon Tyler and Joe and I had the privilege of watching a lady in her 70s in just a moment of time turn to the Lord 
and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and become a child of God. And that privilege can be yours right now. You can do that. If Jesus said it this way, he that believes on me has everlasting life. It means to trust him, trust him completely. Just turn to him and say, Lord, I know I've sinned. I know I don't deserve your forgiveness. But God, I, I believe that Jesus died for me. Jesus, I believe that you died in my place, that you were buried and rose again. And Jesus, right now, I trust you and you alone to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life, to be my Lord, to guide me, to help me in my responsibilities, in the institutions that you have established on this earth. Listen, if you've trusted Jesus for the first time in your life, let us know, let me know, let your shepherd group know, one of your professors know. If you're listening to this later on the podcast, write our college, send us an email, let us know so we can rejoice with you at that great decision. But if you know Jesus, then today your invitation is this. God wants you to make a commitment to the first institution first. First in time and first in priority. Turn your heart toward home. Father, we love you. We thank you for the way your word teaches us and instructs us. Help us to live daily committed to the first institution, the home, and thereby to be good citizens of heaven, but also citizens of the nation in which we live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.